Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. We hope you'll enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Hey, this is a touchy subject. We talk about it a lot at our church. Some people tell me we don't talk about it enough. We talk about it a lot, I think, and uh, it's important because God talks about it a lot. So how to handle your money, how to deal with your finances, um, how to be wise with the stuff God gives you. It's a hot topic in the Bible. Um, Jesus talked about finances and money more than he talked about heaven and hell. And uh, 70% of the stories Jesus told were either to teach about money or they were using money as an illustration. And so uh, he knew what we are trying to um, remember and teach and, and integrate into our church today, that money makes a big difference in our lives and that uh, uh, we tend to mess it up quite a bit. And, and it tends to kind of like mess with our heart a lot, mess with our marriages, mess with our relationships and impact the way we see coworkers or bosses. And, and so uh, we're going to tackle it every year like we've been doing. So every year at the beginning of the year, we take a few weeks and we just look at some different aspects of what the Bible has to say about money, finances, managing um, your wealth and the things God gives you. We want to do that this, um, this month also, this year also. And so the first couple weeks of this year, we're going to tackle this. Before church started, the band was up here practicing. And uh, Brad, who's not in here right now, he's teaching the kids class today. But Brad came up to me and they were practicing that Honey in the Rock song. And he said, uh, hey, you ought to switch the schedule around and do Honey in the Rock as the closing song today and just change it to Money in the Rock. And I was like, Brad, it's Brad's. So, but anyhow, because he knew we were talking about finances, I guess. But so, uh, yeah, so we're going to dive in. We're going to be several different places in the Bible. If you want to follow along, though, on your own Bible or on your Bible app, the best place for you to go is probably going to be Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And so I want to start with a question today. You ever feel like you've been hustled? And what I mean by that is, like, do you ever have that feeling inside like you've been taken advantage of? Now, uh, that, that can happen for several different reasons. Maybe you felt taken advantage of or you felt hustled just because you were naive, right? We can be a little naive and people take advantage of that, right? Or maybe um, you, you got hustled or taken advantage of because, you know, somehow you believed something that wasn't true. You, you believed a lie, right? That could happen too. And, uh, and some of us get hustled just because other people are good con artists, right? And so they con us, they trick us, they fool us. And I was trying to think this week of all the reasons why we get hustled. And that was about the only three I could come up with. I don't know, maybe there's more, but that was all I could think of, you know, is that we either believe something that's not true, uh, somebody's a really good con artist, um, or we're just a little bit naive about something in life. And so we get kind of hustled. And so that's what this series is all about. How, how can you prevent your life from being taken advantage of? How can you prevent yourself from being hustled moving forward? How do you even know if you are being hustled? And so we're going to kind of dig into what God's Word has to say about that and kind of uh, unpack a little bit of it. And hopefully you can go out of here over the next three weeks with some tools to keep from getting hustled anymore, to, to know if you are being hustled or taken advantage of, and uh, how you can live the best life that God wants you to live. So I want to start in a passage today. It doesn't really have to do with money uh, or finances, but I think it's important to kind of set the framework for what we're going to talk about the rest of the day. And uh, I'm not going to put both these verses on the screen, just one of them. But in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, if you want to write that down, you can look up verse 14 later. I'm just going to show you verse 15. But James chapter 1, verse 14, James writes um, where temptation comes from in our life. 
So temptation just being kind of those thoughts or those feelings, the kind of inside part of us that um, feels a pull to do the opposite of what God says to do, right? Temptation. You guys all know that, what a temptation is? And so this part of us, this feeling, this thought, or um, this moment on the inside where we want to do um, something opposite from what God says, James says in verse 14 of chapter 1 that those temptations come from our own desires. They come not from Satan and not from society, but from ourself. He says they come from our own desires. And then verse 15 lays out kind of this, I don't know, progression that those desires take. Now here's that progression. It says that those desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And so he lays out, look if you can see this progression where we have a desire on the inside to do the opposite of what God says and then if we allow that to be birthed into an action, into an opposite of what God wants us to do, action, a sinful action, and then it, it kind of takes root in our life. And then if we allow it to grow and go unchecked, it eventually results in death. Now, what's he saying here? I think there's kind of two really important things from this progression we can pick up. Here's the first one, right? And this is kind of like subtext, like underneath the surface of the text. But you can definitely kind of extrapolate this and, and realize this from this passage. If you were to take Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden and plop you down in the Garden of Eden, you'd have done the same thing. That's really what he's saying. Because sin doesn't come from the devil made me do it or society had a bad impact on me. No, it comes from these desires we've got inside of us. And if we allow them to take action, take root, and they grow, they eventually lead us to death. You're not better than them. I've thought that before. Like, man, if they could have only just obeyed, not eaten the fruit, right? But the truth is we all would have done that. We all would have chosen our own way over God's way. And then the, the second thing I think that's important to take from this passage, and this is the one that's really going to kind of zero in on where we're going to go today, is this idea that all sin looks kind of cute to start with. Nobody sets out at the beginning of the day to be like, hey, today, how can I bring death into my life? No, they just have a desire. And the desire looks kind of harmless. Hey, this won't hurt anybody else, will it? I mean, I know God says to do it this way, but really, isn't it just me? I'm not affecting anybody. Can't I just do what I want? I, I know that God tells me to do it one way, but will there really be like, you know, societal impact if I do it the opposite way? It looks kind of cute, kind of innocent up front, but it always leads to death. And I think that's important for this discussion because we can look at money and see all the exact same facts along the way and, and even make some choices that they kind of look cute and innocent. I mean, this isn't going to hurt anybody else if I do this with my money, is it? I mean, it's my money. Didn't I earn it? I mean, hey, I only get to live one time. Shouldn't I get to have some fun while I'm here? And we make some choices with our finances that seem kind of cute and innocent up front, but then we see them grow into kind of this monster down the road. Death. And a lot of times, the things that you thought were kind of cute and innocent uh, when you were younger, you kind of see them as you get older, 
becoming like these monsters and becoming these like uh, uh, destructive, sinful actions that are leading you to death. But kind of by the time you realize it, it's like I've been doing it this way for 20 years. It's hard to change or it's hard to dig myself out of the mountain I've buried myself under financially. But that's what sin does. Kind of tricks you thinking it's not a big deal. And so, you know, I've shared this with our church before, but like you're dating this girl in high school and, and you know, she's always got these like awesome clothes on. And you're like, man, she always looks good. And she's always got her hair looking nice and she's always got her nails done and she's always got the best of the best. And you think, man, that girl, she's put together. That's the kind of girl I want to be with. And then you marry that girl and like three years into marriage, you're like, all she does is spend money. All she does is go to the salon and the mall and she's always got to have new clothes. Why aren't the old clothes good? And the thing you thought was so awesome about her in high school now irritates you as an adult married man. And then you see that guy in high school and he's got that Letterman jacket on. Do they still do Letterman jackets? Is that a thing? Yeah, okay. And, uh, and he like winks at you and you're like, oh, that guy, look, I love his car. I can't wait to take a ride in that car. I'll go out with him just to have a ride in that car. It's such a cool car and you love him. You think he's like the coolest kid in school because he's got this awesome car and, and he's this athlete and, and he's on all these sports teams. And so, and then you marry him. And then like three years later, all he wants to do is play games. And I got to mail in that car payment again. And all the things you loved about him when you were dating now frustrate you and irritate him. That's how it works. All those things that we think are like cute and innocent and adorable up front, the exact same facts, the exact same things down the road look like death. And that's how it works. And that's what happens to us financially, too. I want to give you a couple examples of that if I can. Here's the first one. I'll be on the screen. Now, when you look at this picture, I want you to tell me, do you see one vase or do you see two faces? Do you see one vase or do you see two faces? Because we're looking at the exact same facts. But we can have two different perspectives. Lily can't see it. I'm going to help her here. Lily. This is a face here, Lily. Do you see the face? This is a face here. But there's a vase in the middle. You see that? She was looking very confused there, so I was helping out. Right? Here's another one. You see a rabbit or you see a duck? You see a rabbit or you see a duck? Because it's the exact same picture for all of us, right? We're all looking at the exact same cash. We all get the exact same kind of currency. We all look at the exact same facts, but your perspective might be opposite of God's perspective. Now listen, I want you to see this through with me. I don't want anybody like sending me an email or harassing me after church about this next one, all right? This can be very sexist, all right? It's for, Noah, it's be right up your alley, all right? Look at this sentence for a second. You ready? Look at this sentence. A woman without her man is nothing. Is that sexist? That's not a good, you don't want to say it. I know some of you don't like that. It just doesn't sound right. Like I'm leaving this church. I'm out, right? Now I want to show you a sentence with the exact same words. And I just want to add two punctuation marks. Ready? How about this? A woman without her, man is nothing. There you go. Okay, you got me? So we can look at the exact same things together, but walk away with two different conclusions, can't we? We can have a different perspective. So what if God's perspective on your money has nothing to do with the facts you're seeing, has nothing to do with the evidence or the uh, information that everybody's looking at, but just the perspective we're going into it with, that we're looking at it from the wrong perspective. Because they did this 
study of happy people. They tried to figure out who was happiest and who was saddest. And, and this study was like, you know, asking them all these questions to find out if they're truly happy with their life, truly content or satisfied with their life. And there was one common trait that all happy people shared. And it wasn't money. There were some poor people that were super happy and some rich people that were miserable. It had nothing to do with money or how much money you had. It had nothing to do with how big your house was or what your job was. It had nothing to do with any of that. There was one trait that all happy people had in common. Here it is. You ready? It's the word peace. Poor or rich, single or married, kids, no kids, job or unemployed, the people that answered the questions to indicate they were the happiest were the people that felt peace on the inside. That when they laid their head down at night, they weren't stressed, they weren't worried, they weren't uh, concerned about what was coming the next day. They just had some peace. If you're a note taker, this is going to be an easy day for you because we're just going to give like some one-word answers today. I have to keep it simple for myself and so it's just going to be a lot of one-word answers today. But that's the first one. If you want to be happy, you got to get peace. And so we're going to try to figure that out together over the next three weeks. And so then you show up at church for a series called The Hustle or, or a financial series or a money series. And then the preacher stands up front and tells you, money won't make you happy. And so you're at church and so you kind of nod in agreement. And you're like, oh, amen, brother, you know, or something like that. And then deep down you're thinking like, but I'd like to give it a try. You know, like oh, try me, put me to the test. Give me some money. I'll tell you if it makes me happy or not. And you don't really believe that deep down inside, I think all of us, at least from time to time, if not all the time, believe that money would make us happy. And maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. I don't think that statement by itself is true, but maybe it could be true. I think I could prove from the Bible that there's a connection between money and happiness. And I've shared this with our church before, but the, the mistake we make with our money is not believing that there's a connection between money and our happiness. The mistake we make is that we think the connection between money and happiness is the word more. And if I had more money, I'd be more happy. And that's the lie that we're believing. That's the con that's being sold. That's our naivety tricking us into getting hustled. Because there's nothing that indicates that. In fact, a survey was done uh, that found in America the most stressed, the most stressed, financially frustrated segment of our population are people that make over a million dollars. So how can that be? If more money makes me more happy, then why are the wealthiest in our country the ones that tend to be the most stressed? Why are they the ones that are the most financially frustrated? More money typically just means more stuff, more bills. You might make double, but if you have double the stuff, we got the exact same amount of disposable cash, right? So why is that? And so we make this mistake over and over thinking that if I just had more money, I'd be happy. Now, there is a connection in God's word to money and happiness. But it isn't the word more. It's the word manage. God, time and time again, and Jesus in lots of the stories he told, lots of the teachings he gave over and over again, drives this point home 
that if you manage what you have well, you will find happiness. If you mismanage what you have, whether you have a little or you have a lot, you will be unhappy. And if you are unhappy, you will not feel peace. And if you don't feel peace, if you don't feel peace on the inside, it will not matter how much money you have. You'll still be miserable. And so then Jesus gives us this story I want to look at today, just part of it in Luke chapter 16. It's fascinating. This little paragraph I'm going to pull out for you today. But in Luke chapter 16, he tells us this story. Let me read you the beginning part of it. It doesn't sound at the very beginning like he's necessarily talking about money, but just hang with me for a second. Luke chapter 16, starting in verse 10. This is what Jesus says. He says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. Now, he didn't say anything about money yet, right? Just in general, a principle for us, right? If you are responsible, wise, if you manage well little things, then you will manage and be faithful and do the right thing with large things, okay? And then he goes on and he says, but if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. You guys see it? This is an overriding principle in God's word. It doesn't just apply to money. It applies to everything. It applies to your marriage, to your home, to your children, to your work, to your recreation, to your finances, to your habits and your hobbies. If you are wise with a little bit, then you can be trusted with more. If you are unwise or dishonest with a little bit, then you cannot be trusted with any more. You cannot be trusted with greater responsibility. All right. And then in verse 11, he's going to turn it a little bit. Now, remember what we just read. Faithful in little things, faithful in large things. Dishonest in little things, can't be trusted to be responsible with greater things. Right? Now, look at the next verse, verse 11. And if you're untrustworthy with worldly wealth... Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now it sounds like maybe we're kind of transitioning into money here, right? Maybe, maybe not. He says, if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? It's that same principle, right? If you can't be trusted with the wealth you have here on earth, how could I ever trust you with heavenly things? Things that really matter. Things that make a difference for eternity, eternal life. How could I trust you with those things if you can't even be trusted with worldly wealth? And then in verse 12, he says, and if you are not faithful with other people's things, this is another theme in the Bible over and over again, that everything is God's. None of it belongs to us. We are just managers. We're not owners. And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own, okay? So you're with me on this principle. We are all together on this. Now, don't put it up on the screen yet, but the last verse of the paragraph, I always look at and think is written wrong, okay? If God wrote the Bible the way I would write it, this verse would have been written differently. If God had consulted me, Probably not a good idea, but if he had consulted me, I would have wrote verse 13 differently. Don't, don't put it up on the screen. Hey, go ahead, put up the first part. I think I got the first part. Here's what, here's what it says at the beginning of the verse. It says, no one can serve two masters. No one can serve two masters. For you will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Now, the last line of the verse should say, 
If God was going to be logical like me and do it my way, what God would have written at the end of that verse was, you can't serve both God and the devil. Or you can't serve both God and evil. Or you can't serve both God and yourself. But coming back to James, what we read earlier, Luke is going to record for us Jesus' words here, and he's going to show us again that the root cause of what's going on in our life, whether it's finances or anything, the chaos comes from ourself. Not Satan, not society, ourself. So here's how the verse really ends. Ready? You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Now remember the context of the paragraph. He's comparing a couple things. What you do with little things and what you do with large things. How you handle small responsibility and how you handle big responsibility. What, what you do with worldly wealth and how much of eternal heavenly blessing God can trust you with. And then he says, you can't be enslaved to money and serve God. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can only have one master. Now, he compares this idea of being enslaved to money to us being devoted to it. And I know you might hear that and you might think to yourself, like, well, I'm not devoted to my money. I don't love my money. My money works for me or I you know, have to have some money, but I don't, I'm not devoted to it. But look at how he describes being enslaved to money. He uses the words love and devoted. And I wonder, like, it'd be easy for me to say I'm not devoted to my money, but answer this question. Have you ever done something to get something that you regret someday? And I wonder if in those kind of moments, if I got hustled into being devoted to stuff or devoted to my money. You ever make a purchase you regret? Ever look back six months later, a week later, a year later, and think like, man, we'd have been better off to wait or to not buy that. Could that have been me being devoted to my money? Being in love with my stuff? Maybe. It's interesting that the verse is written that way because Jesus seemed to know that the chief competitor for our heart was going to be finances. He knew that wherever we put our treasure, that's where our heart would go. For wherever your heart, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Seems in my head like it should be the other way. Wherever my heart's at, that's where I'll put my treasure. But Jesus lets us know it's the opposite. Wherever you choose to put your money, your heart will follow it. And I've shared with our church before, like that's easy to see. If you invested in the stock market, all of a sudden one day you would go from not really caring how that stock performed to the next day being all you could do not to look at it every minute. Because where you place your money, you start to care. I don't really care how the fourth grade basketball team at my daughter's school does until she joined it. And I had to pay to get her in. And then we had to buy her basketball shoes. And then I had to practice with her at home. And all of a sudden, it was taking up my time and some of our money. Just a side note for the record, if you've got kids who aren't in sports yet, I learned something this past year, right? We spent nine years trying to teach our daughter to be kind and share and be gentle. And then you join a sports team and they're like, rip the ball out of their hands. Kick them if you have to. I'm like, so we've been spending the last six months trying to teach her to be mean. Okay, so I just, but, but it's like, I'm way more invested in it now, right? Because I put my money into it. 
because I care about it, you know? I don't care if any of the groceries at the grocery store are rotten and rancid, as long as the ones I buy aren't, right? Once I put my money into it, now I care how it performs. Now, now I want it. Now my heart is in it. Now I'm devoted to it. And it runs this risk of enslaving me. And Jesus knew that. He, he knew that the primary competitor for us would be our stuff. And he wants us. And so he talked about it a lot. Over and over again. All right. So here's what I want to do. I want to try and keep it simple for us today. I got three words I want to give you. You can write each of these down. I believe these three words are the reason or the, or the, the root or the, the, the cause of every single financial problem you've ever had or will ever have. If you got one now, if you keep fighting with your spouse about money, if you never seem to have enough money at the end of the month, if you never seem to have enough month at the end of the money, however that works, if you feel like you're buried under a mountain of financial difficulty, if you feel like your job's never going to help you, let you get ahead, whatever the financial problem is, I promise you, one of these three words is the problem, okay? So I'm going to give you all three of them. You can write them down and be honest with yourself. Which one is your problem? And, and it's possible like two of them are your problem, or, or all three of them could be our problem, you know, but at least one of them is behind every financial struggle and problem you got. Here's the first one, you ready? It's the word discontent. Discontent. And what drives discontentment is awareness. And the reason I know that is because I've walked through lows. And I'll, every time I walk through Lowe's, there's a tool I've never seen before. And I almost instantly think to myself, I have to have that. Where 10 seconds ago, I didn't even know it existed. Now I need it or I'll die. Because awareness drives discontentment. I didn't know I needed a 70-inch TV until I found out that Aaron had a 55-inch TV. See, like, awareness drives discontentment. I didn't know I needed. You ever see those TVs? There, Guys, I know the guys. If you're like me, like if you're stuck at Walmart with the family, like you go back to the TV section and you just look, right? And you know they have those TVs now that are like curved. Have you guys seen that? It's like we're so, it's the classic first world problem. It's like I can no longer like go like that to watch TV. I need the TV to be bent so I can see all of it without having to move my head. It's like, it's, but I didn't even know that was a thing until I saw one, right? And now I'm like, man, I need to have that. Like, I should get that. Be, I mean, my life would be better if I had more of that, right? And awareness drives our discontent. It only takes a few seconds for it to happen. You love the house you bought. You love the car you just started driving until you drive down the road and the new model year came out. Until somebody else has a slightly better house. You go to their house for dinner, like, oh, they have a bathroom there. Our house would be way better if we had a bathroom there. Can you put a bathroom there, honey? Or if you're the Crawfords, your wife just goes home, knocks the wall down, tells you to rebuild it, right? So that's what she does at their house, just keeps knocking walls down. <laughs> They're like a wall or two away from living in a tent, you know? But uh, that's how it works, right? Discontentment. Here's the second word, right? Drives all of our financial problems. Ready? Worry. Worry. So where discontentment is like, I'm unsatisfied with what I have now, worry is like, I'm terrified of what I won't have then. 
I'm terrified of what's coming down the road. Will I ever have enough? Will I ever be more than this? Will I ever be secure? And we worry about it. I know there's some people in the room that are discontent. That they wish they had some more stuff. That they wish they had some more digits in their bank account. I know there are some people in the room that are worried. I don't know if I'll be able to pay the bills this month. I don't know if I'll ever be able to retire. And we worry and we're discontent. And so maybe your problem is like you're discontent about what you have. And maybe your problem is you're worried about what you won't have. And what drives worry is self-reliance. Thinking that it's up to me. That I got to manage this life the best way I can and do it my way so that I'll end up on top. Reliant on yourself. You feel insecure financially. All of our financial problems come from these two words. Now, I know you're thinking like, if you're really listening, you're thinking like, I told you there's three words, right? But really, it comes from one of these two. And then the problem is the third word because these two words always drive us to the third word because we think the third word's the answer. So these two words always drive us to the third word, which is debt. And so when I feel insecure about my financial situation and about what I have, if I feel worried that somebody else has got it better than me or that my kids won't like me if we don't take that trip, my wife won't approve of me if I don't get her that present, and I won't be able to keep up if I don't have those clothes, and I've got to have more money and more money and more stuff and more stuff, and our discontentment on the inside and our worry on the inside drives us to spend money we don't have. Debt. And I promise you that if we sat down for five minutes and you shared with me whatever stresses you out financially, it would come back to one of these three words. That either you're worried about something that God says he's got and you don't have to worry about. You're discontent with something you don't have that you don't really need. Or you've been buried under debt that you shouldn't have spent. So I don't know which one of it is for you, or maybe, like I said, it's a combination of two or three of them. But when it comes to debt, we've got to develop this principle. I shared this with our church four years ago and two years ago. Every two years, I do the financial series here. And so every time I share it, I share this principle about debt. You have to get to the place where you just trust God enough to believe that I want is better than I owe. I want is better than I owe. Because when you owe, you owe to other people. You owe to creditors. And God in his word always sides with the creditors. He's always in the bank's corner. He's never in your corner for going into debt. He's always in the bank's corner. And he always expects us to repay it. And he lets us know that it enslaves you. And it makes you miserable. And so whether you're naive about it, or whether you've believed a lie, or whether somebody's pulled the wool over your eyes and conned you. Because if there's enough commercials and enough people tell you, do you you understand that like Samuel L. Jackson doesn't care how much credit card debt you ring up? That the girl that played Penny, what's the girl's name on the Big Bang Theory plays Penny? You know what I'm talking about? You guys know what I'm talking about? What's her name? Nobody watches any, nobody knows. What's her name? Yeah, Kaylee Kluko. I can't remember how to say her last name. They don't care how, much, how many flight miles you get or how much rewards points you have. Or, they don't care about any of that. They're in it for them. Capital One doesn't care how big your credit card balance is. 
They're trying to con you into spending more. Discover, it pays to discover, it pays them for you to discover. It doesn't pay you. There's not one billionaire or millionaire on earth that gets on TV to do an interview and says like, yeah, well, I was broke, but then I got all this cash back rewards from Discover and now I'm loaded. It doesn't work like that. Nobody's financial freedom or independence has ever come from cash back rewards, ever. It's never come from flight miles or points or gifts that they give you, never. It's just a con. I want is better than I owe, so stay out of debt. Simple. Simple to say, hard to do. What am I trying to say today? Here's what I'm trying to say. You ready? More won't help. But managing will. If you just manage it God's way. Now look, everything the Bible has to say about money can be summed up in two words. I'm going to give you both words. Ready? Everything the Bible teaches us about money can be summed up in two words. It's the words generosity and wisdom. And what we're going to do the next two weeks, I hope you'll come back, what we're going to do is we're going to pull these two words apart and we're going to figure out how we can be more generous and how we can be more wise. Can you put that last screen back up there, the, uh, uh, the discontentment? And, yeah, yeah. Today I want to convince you to stay out of debt. It's just that simple. Nothing like earth-shattering. Nothing like mind-blowing. You probably, some of you already think that maybe. I just want to convince you it's not a good idea to go into debt. I'm going to read you some stuff from God's Word just a second. But then next week, what we're going to do is rip apart the word discontentment. I'm going to take you to a passage in the Bible where God talks about being financially discontent and how he says to break that in your life, to break that pattern, that feeling of discontentment. And then two weeks from now, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible where God talks about being financially worried and how he says to break that in your life. And I want you to know, if we can break that spirit or we can break that habit or we can break those feelings of discontentment and you can break those feelings or that spirit or those habits of worry in your life, then it'll be a lot easier to stay out of debt. You won't feel the need to go into debt. And if we can keep you out of debt, we can keep you financially happy, financially peaceful on the inside. We can keep you managing your money God's way. All right, so go back to that generosity and wisdom, right? This is what the Bible teaches about finances. Two things, generosity and wisdom. Now, here's how we teach it, three, stand, three strands. Three strands. We've, teach, we've taught it this way every year for the last 10 years since we started, right, Kenny? Every year we talk about these three words. Here's how we teach it. You ready? Give, save, live. In that order, always that order, never out of order. That's how you live a generous and wise life financially. You give first, you save second, you live on the rest. You give first, you save second, you live on the rest. I'm going to sum up all of God's word on finances for you right now. No matter what I get or what I have or what I make, I take the minimum, at least the first 10% of it, and I give it to God through his church. That's the minimum. And if you do that, it's not like you get to brag. In fact, one time in the Bible, a guy did that. He came into the temple with his 10%, put his 10% in the offering, talking about how great he was and what a good thing he just did. And Jesus looked at him and he's like, that's nothing. The lady over there that gave two little pennies, she did the right thing. She was generous. She gave all she had. It isn't about the amount, it's about the attitude. And your 10%, the first 10% of it, you say, do I have to tithe? Do I have to, a tithe is just the first 10% of everything I make, right? A first 10%. Do I have to tithe off my birthday money? Will you tell me, do you want God to bless your birthday money or not? 
Do I have to tithe off the gift that somebody gave me for Christmas? Do you want God to bless the gift or not? So we've been teaching our kids since they were born, like, it doesn't matter where, if I find a nickel on the street, God's getting part of it. Because I want God to bless my whole life. Not just the part I've delusionally think that I've earned. I want him to bless all of it. And so I give off all of it. And my 10%, the first 10% of what I get, and I've heard it all. It's like, I don't have enough money to tithe. How do you know? If you're giving it first, how do you know you don't have enough? Because when you don't have enough is when you're trying to give it last. Then you run out and you're like, I don't have enough to give. But if I gave it first, I'd have not enough for something else. See what I just did there? I left that G off of something, Stephanie. I said something else. Something else. I'm getting very Southern in my old age here. But that's what we do. We con ourselves. We believe a lie. We live naively. So I give a minimum of the first 10% of everything I get to God through his church. Now listen, if you're here and you're like, I think he just wants my money. I promise you with all I got, I don't. If you think that, if you even thought that for a second, I want to beg you not to give a dime to Three Strands Church. Take the first 10% of everything you make, go give it to another church in the county. There are other good churches in the county. Give it to them. It's not something we want from you. It's something we want for you. We want God to bless you. And he's never going to bless our disobedience. So if you think we're out to get your cash, I promise you we're not. Just go give it to another church. We would love that for you to start practicing obedience to God's word and giving. And then save something. After you do that, save something regularly every month. And then live only on what's left. And, and, and the only way this works is if you make a budget. It's the only way it works. I don't care if you make a million dollars a year or 10 grand a year. You've got to have a budget or you're not going to follow this principle. If you don't know how to make a budget, just track us down. We'd love to sit down and walk through it with you. We've done that year after year with lots of people. It's simple, it's easy, and it works. So here's my question for you guys. How do I know, how do I know if I'm getting hustled? How do I know if I'm getting hustled? I'm going to leave these three words. I'm going to show you. Here's how you know. You ready? If you're not giving God at least the first 10% of what you make, you're being hustled. You're either living naively, you're believing a lie, or somebody's conning you. If you're not giving God at least the first 10% of everything you get, how else do you know if you're hustled? If you're not saving something regularly, I don't care if it's a dollar, $10, $100, a million dollars, something regularly, every paycheck, every month, whatever. If you're not saving something regularly, you're getting hustled. If you're going into debt, instead of living on only whatever's left, you're getting hustled. And I don't care how many people told you you had to have a white picket fence. And I don't care how long you believe deep down that you'll never be whole unless you buy her a $20,000 diamond ring. And I don't care how long people in the world have tried to convince you that home ownership is the key to happiness. If you're not following God's plan of generosity and wisdom, giving to him first, saving second, living on what's whatever's left and nothing else, then you are getting hustled. And this will not work without a budget. And the thing you're going to have to learn to say over and over again is no. You got it? For our budget to work, for me to give to God first, save second, live only on what's left, I have to over and over and over again say to myself, no. 
No. Somehow I made it 44 years without that tool. I will survive without it. No. That's it. Now I want to just read you some verses from God's Word to wrap up. You just listen to these verses. I'm not going to stop on each one, talk about it. Just listen to each verse. And you tell me if you hear or if you don't hear all the things we just talked about. Making a budget, giving to God first, saving some money, um, living only on what's left and not going into debt. All these things we talked about, having peace by managing God's money well. Listen to me, ready? Proverbs 22, 7. As the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is slave to the lender. You can make what you want out of that. If you go into debt, God says you're enslaved. Okay? Proverbs 11.25, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. God's principles, generosity, right? Proverbs 21.20, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Does that sound like saving? I mean, are we making it up or is it what God tells us? Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 and 8 says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. What do they do? Verse 8, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. Is that saving? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, good planning. Is that a budget? Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 9. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. This is God speaking. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies. This is what God, does that sound like tithing? Here's what God's going to do. I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. It's the only time in the Bible God tells his people to test him. Test them with your finances. You tell me, did those verses sound like, hey, we're supposed, to we're supposed to give, we're supposed to save, and we're supposed to live only on what's left? Is that what he's teaching us? Is it possible that all your financial fights all of your stressors, all of your frustrations come from discontentment or worry that's driving you to debt? Is it possible? I can give all of you $279,000 today. Would you like that? Everybody want me to hand you that on the way out the door? I can do it right now. You ready? This is the number that the average American spends in their lifetime on interest. You want $279,000? I can give it to you right now. Just commit today to never go in debt again. I just gave you a raise. Sounds good, doesn't it? If we would just do it God's way, I was listening to this preacher this week uh, preach this sermon. He said something I thought was like fascinating. I, can't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember how he said it, but he said, um, following Jesus not only makes life better, it makes you better at life. And I thought, that's what all these principles are. It's like Jesus saying, follow me, and, and it, it will make you better. But on top of that, it will make you better at life, too. 
The Jesus way, when it comes to your finances, it just works. Nobody gets to the end of their life laying on their deathbed and just thinks like, oh, if only I had more bills that were still due. If, <laughs> if only I was more frustrated and discontent with the stuff I've had. If only I had more concern and anxiety and worry about what the rest of my... No, about what the rest of my family is going to do once I'm gone financially. Nobody gets there into their life and wants more discontentment, more worry, more debt. I want to be that grandpa talked about in Proverbs that gets to the end of his life and leaves an inheritance behind to his grandkids. I want to be that guy. I want to be the guy that goes to bed every night, lays my head on my pillow and just feels peace because I've honored God with my money that I've stored some away for a rainy day and that I have no bills or debt that are due. I want to be that guy. I don't want to get hustled. I don't want to be naive. I don't want to believe a lie and I don't want to think any of it's cute anymore. Because when you think it's cute and you think it's innocent, that's when it gets to grow in your life. It's not a big deal. It's just a little debt. It's, it's not a big deal. It's just one paycheck I didn't tithe on. It's not that big a deal. I mean, I used to say, but I just can't right now. It's not, and all of a sudden it kind of takes root in your life and it starts to grow and it leads to death. And you look back and it looked cute at the beginning, but it isn't cute anymore. And you can break that pattern for you and your whole family today. If you'll just give first, save second, and live on whatever's left and nothing more. Let me pray for you. Dear God, thank you for your word. I thank you for giving us a people today who are here. I know a lot of the folks in the room who have ears to hear, God, but I pray for everybody in the room that you would open up their heart to not hear that we're a church that's after their money, but to hear that you're a God who's after their heart, that you want to love them and you want them to love you, that you want what's best for them and you know that your way is best for them. And so you're just trying with all you've got through our sermon, through our songs, through our handshakes, through our kindness, through our events, through everything we do as a church, trying to convince people that your glory is to be worshiped, that your praise is to be sung, that your grace and truth is to be trusted. God, I pray that the people in our room would walk out the doors today and get a pay raise because they would start giving to you first, saving second, and living only on what's left. That they would see their financial life flipped on its head, turned around, and start heading in the right direction, a direction towards peace. God, we need some peace. We need some marriages that are saved because they don't fight about money. We need some people that are able to be generous because they haven't leveraged all their income on debt. We need, we need to change the way we look at the facts and start seeing them your way. God, would you give us a heart of generosity and the wisdom and the courage to put into practice what your word says. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than a life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.